Welcome to the Inspiring Humans podcast. We are so happy to have you listening. My name is Stephanie Willard, and this podcast is a platform to showcase the incredible human spirit. On this podcast, I'll be interviewing people from all over the world and all walks of life who will be sharing with us their personal dreams and their dreams for the future. I believe that through coming together and creating community, incredible things are possible. In fact, anything is possible. And I hope that this podcast is a launch pad for creating the new world that we want to see that will have humanity free, thriving and living in their full self-expression. Welcome Wads and I, Nenzo, to the Inspiring Humans podcast, otherwise known as Wadzi, as a nickname. Uh, it's such a privilege to have you on the podcast today. I am so excited to be on this podcast. I love you, Steph. I love everything that you're doing. So it's fantastic to be to be involved. Amazing. So Wadzi, I'm also in admiration at the work that you're doing with um, supporting uh, the African community here to become financially independent and feel that empowerment around their finances, but also your whole career has been, um, you know, quite extraordinary in in finance and in working with uh, the African community and outside the African community in empowering them with their finances, particularly in the share market and learning about how to how to be an investor. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. Um, Yeah, I'm very passionate about um, helping the African-Australian community, but I would probably say my main love is women. (laughs) I'm really, you know, very passionate about um, helping women, especially become economically empowered. And obviously from that African-Australian women and uh, women from everywhere. So it's just a passion of mine that I've had from when I was a little girl growing up in Zimbabwe. Amazing. Can you paint a bit of a picture for us about growing up in Zimbabwe and how that passion kind of formed? Okay, yeah. So, uh, yes, I'm originally from Zimbabwe. I grew up in the capital city in Harare. So had my mom and dad and my three siblings and older brother and two younger sisters. And I grew up middle class. So, you know, grew up in the suburbs, um, had a reasonably, you know, well, you know, middle class upbringing. Um, but I, I observed quite a lot. I've always been a curious sort. Uh, and growing up, I noticed the kind of discrepancies between, you know, the ladies who had their financial situation in hand or who were financially secure and those who didn't have financial security. And I saw, I saw that with my own relatives, you know, my female relatives. And I saw how you'd have some of them in domestic situations, domestic violence situations, and they would run away from their husband and the family would be like, where, where are you going? You can't take care of yourself. You can't take care of the kids that you have. Go back to your husband. You know, even though he's beating you, he's the one who's the breadwinner, you know, and they were so reliant on somebody else. And it really removed their choices to be able to live the life that they wanted, a life of peace, a life of safety, because they didn't have that financial security. So even as a little girl, I remember thinking that doesn't seem right. You know, I, I didn't think that was very fair, but also I didn't want that for myself. So I remember thinking, even as a girl, I don't want to be in this, in this spot. I don't want to, you know, not have autonomy. Uh, Of course, as a kid, I wasn't saying autonomy. (laughs) I wanted to have choice. 
Um, and I made a choice back then. I wasn't sure what that would look like, but I made a choice as a kid that first of all, I want to be empowered financially for myself, but also when I'm an adult, I want to try and see if there's a way I can also help women become empowered as well financially. Amazing. And that that obviously led you on a path to educate yourself around finances and and how to empower yourself and and it looks like a range of different jobs in the finance industry (laughs) can you you kind of give us a bit of a timeline and talk us through those roles and what's led you to now creating her her economics which is um, focused on empowering women to build their personal wealth sure sure thing so so when I was in Zimbabwe I knew so I was I was also just privileged enough to have parents who could afford to send me overseas because not everyone who could study overseas. So I remember when I was probably what you guys in Australia would call year 11 and 12, thinking about, okay, where I want to go for university. I had that option. And I also uh, was doing well in school to know that I was going to do well enough to go to university. And a lot of people were going to America then, you know, like US or actually the UK was probably the most um common one because we were part of the Commonwealth nation. So it was really easy for Zimbabweans to to go there without much of a visa or it was just, yeah, it was an an easier solution, I guess. Um, But then Wadzi decided to be different. And I grew up watching a lot of Aussie shows, TV shows. And I was like, I want to go to Australia. Just very random choice. Um, But we were very lucky because a friend of mine connected me to a lovely lady um, who was helping international students or wannabe international students from Zimbabwe get places here in Australia. And I got my place for a Bachelor of Commerce at Deakin University in Burwood. And I didn't know much about Melbourne then. Um, You know, I think when you're overseas, most of what a lot of people know about Australia is the Sydney Opera House in Sydney. (laughs) So I didn't know, I chose, I just chose Deakin because I had a number of offers. Um, I chose uh, Melbourne and I'm so glad I did because I love Melbourne. Um, so I came, came over to Melbourne and was studying uh, Bachelor of Commerce. I did that um, from about 2001. And then after that, straight after that, I did my Master's of Accounting at um, Swinburne in Hawthorne. And then I jumped into the financial services world. So I started off um, at AXA, which is like back then it was, it's now part of AMP but it was just on its own. It was an investment manager and I was in the superannuation area, was there for a bit. And then after that, I moved a lot in the early part of my career because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I was just kind of trying different things. I went into stockbroking services. I went into um, like other, another superannuation company, Unisuper for a while. Um, and then I started working for, um, I did some um, banking, like, you know, working in the banking area and compliance. And then um, when I was um, at a company called Marissa, I started, I stumbled on, not stumbled on, but decided to focus on financial advice. So I was more in the back office side of things and, you know, working with financial planners who were seeing customers and helping them with their financial plans and with um, building their wealth. And through that, over the years, I did a lot of back office work with financial advice. I mean, um, and then I eventually ended up at Bendigo Bank, where I started uh, offering general financial advice myself over the phone and talking to clients. 
And that journey, right, has been amazing because it highlighted what I already knew uh, regarding, you know, women and wealth and growing their wealth. But also it showed me what was possible because I saw average people, uh, men and women, you know, doing average jobs, you know, a lot of tradies, a lot of teachers, a lot of nurses who just put certain things in place over a period of time and had grown, um, you know, wealth for themselves and had peace of mind for themselves, for their families. Some were using it for their communities. And I saw what was actually possible for just people, the average Jane and Joe. So whilst I was doing that, I decided, you know what? Um, I think it's time. When I turned 30, 30 is kind of that little thing that instigated, okay, now you should do something. That little promise you made when you're a girl in Zimbabwe, what are you going to do about it? And that's when I started her economics. No idea what I was doing. I was just posting stuff on social media about women and money. And it was very vague. Um, but yeah, it's, it's progressed to where it is now, where I'm uh, focusing on teaching women how to actually start investing on the share market, because a lot of women are very intimidated by the share market. But there's so much potential there there's money being left on the table by a lot of women um, that I want to kind of, it's a mission of mine to get more women taking advantage of that long-term wealth building that the share market offers. So interesting. So just to um, take you back a bit to the initial times when you, when you started and you said you had no idea what you were kind of doing, yeah. you were just posting a few things on social media and can you talk us through that start period for you know anyone listening that might have might have an idea that wants to start that doesn't know how? yeah oh my god I just love talking about that because I think too many people are perfectionists I am that way inclined as well by the way I totally empathize I I mean that perfectionism meant that I started economics way later than I probably, you know, could have, because I was waiting for some level of expertise, you know, I wanted to be this seasoned, you know, financial professional who's maybe in her 40s or 50s or something perfect, and have everything lined up and clear. But what I realized is when I was starting out, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to start. I mean, one thing that I did was just come up with the name Her Economics, which I loved. The minute I came up with that name, it just resonated. You know, you have some decisions you make and you feel your body. Actually, the minute the name came out, it just was like a hallelujah moment. You know, I just and I'm a total atheist, by the way, <laughs> but I had, I had the angel singing. Um, but when I came up with the name, I was like, okay, what is it going to look like? I had no idea. So I just knew the vision that I wanted around, you know, as, you know, being like a, a platform where women can empower themselves financially, you know, have choice and have that peace of mind and also just live their best lives. Um, right. So that was the vision. It was very high level. And then all I did was I just started, um, posting articles and sharing them on my own personal page that, Hey guys, this is something I've started. Um, and this is kind of my vision around it and just sharing with friends and family. And it's funny because you start doing that, you keep on kind of being seen as somebody who's interested in this space. And about a few months um, later, I had friends coming saying, oh, I've got this event. We, we want someone to talk about money to a women's event. Do you want to come along? I'm like, okay. 
And that's how it, it started with kind of just that putting myself out there, even though I had no clear understanding of what I was actually planning to do. And it, it moved to people asking me to come and have a bit of a chat at women's events and at workshops. And yeah, and then it moved on to start doing my own events that I created myself, like face-to-face -face events that I was doing in Melbourne, um, yeah, to where it is now. So in the beginning, I had no idea. It was very vague, but I just, I just gave it a go. And so, you know, and, and, and kind of just took it one day at a time, trial and error, and yeah, and then it just evolved. Isn't it amazing to look back and connect the dots and, oh you know, even sharing. It's amazing. Dogs. It's amazing to look back. I can't even believe where it's gone. I mean, from where it started. Yeah, yeah. And even, you know, in the lead up to you running this, just, you know, each step of the way, each job you had, you learned something that led to the next thing. And I just find exactly. that Exactly. Exactly. And I used to be so frustrated. It's funny because now I look back, I'm like, my God, every job that I've done is brought me here, whether it's just learning myself or even just the connections I made at all these jobs that have now, you know, it all comes full circle to where I am now. And it has brought me to, to be the best kind of um, in the best, best situation now for my business, all those experiences. When I was doing them, they didn't seem that, that great then. I was like, ah, oh, this is so boring or this is not what I really want to do. But it all adds up to who you become. So it, it struck me before when you said that, you know, women can be quite intimidated by the share market if they don't yeah. know a lot about it. And, yeah. that, you know, I can really resonate with that because if you don't know about it and you haven't had exposure to it um, and, and also just the situations that you described when you were growing up in Zimbabwe I mean that's a whole mindset shift it's a whole cultural shift as well for the women to be earning money so yes. I'd love to just hear your experience in working with women um, around that particular topic uh, around mindset oh my god so that is a huge huge so it's funny because mindset has always been a big part of what I do because a lot of people tend to think when it comes to investing or money, they tend to think that you need to be this math whiz or this, you know, Einstein of understanding the share market or finances in general. But the people who actually do really well, and, and I'm talking about even the big greats like the Warren Buffetts, for instance, they talk about this and most of them talk about the importance of mindset, just the way they view things right? This, the, the kind of mindset shift that they had to go through to get to that point. So, I mean, it's funny because even earlier on when things, I started to do the talks and also the workshops, I'd have a lot of conversations with ladies and there was always those myths that they had around the share market or around what was possible. So they just, a lot of them just didn't think it was possible for them. They just didn't think the share market was even something that they should even consider. I met people with $50,000 just sitting in the bank account. And, you know, it was just sitting there. They were really good at saving and budgeting, but they weren't really good at making that money work for them. Um, and they were not really comfortable with thinking of venturing into something like the share market because all they saw of the share market was Wolf of Wall Street movies or, you know, um, any type of kind of movie Hollywood style where you've got all these like men, you know, jumping up and down in the share market at Wall Street. And they thought 
this is not my world. I, I can't, I don't understand this world and it's not possible for me. So it's been a big shift to bring them back to the basics of, obviously Hollywood blows it up and puts, you know, specific uh, image, but that majority of the people who invest on the share market are just like them. And I give examples of day-to-day -day people, a lot of their people around them who are already doing that, already building wealth and already living off some of this income from the share market. They don't necessarily talk to them about it, but there's plenty of examples of normal people who've done it and who do it all the time. And people who are just average intelligence because ultimately when it comes to building money on the share market or any type of investing, it's about habits. It's about consistency over a specific amount of time. And it's also about specific psychological mindsets like calmness, you know, being able to be calm. Uh, and that plays a really big, 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 um, you know, it, it plays a big part in actually doing well. Your psychology is the foundation before you worry about what am I going to do? If you don't have your mind right, you're, you're not going to do well over the long term. So what is the share market 101 for people listening? <laughs> and, and, and also for myself, because I have a basic knowledge of it, but I've never, I've never invested myself. And it, it is one of those topics that if you don't actively, you know, research it, you, you kind of don't really understand it. Yeah, yeah. Share market 101. <laughs> then that could be like a whole day of a workshop of me explaining what that is. But in a nutshell, first of all, the share market is like any other type of investment, whether you're looking at, it's a type of asset class, right? So when you think of investing, a lot of people understand property. You know, it's something that they can touch and hold. Property is a, is a type of asset class. Shares are a type of asset class. The same as you think of bank accounts or term deposits, they're an asset class as well, cash, um, or things like Australian government bonds, which are another asset class called fixed interest. So what you're doing when you, when you think of investing, what you're trying to get from investing is either a combination of growth over long term. So whether you're investing in Amazon when it came out. So people who invested in Amazon and it was like a dollar something when it first came out, now it's like $3,000 a share, for instance. And for people who were, let's say, holding Amazon for the past 20 something years, if you're someone who had put in $1,000 back then, and then you were holding it until now, and it would, you become a millionaire easily because you, you allowed the growth of the shares or the, the value of the company to grow up over time. So that's what you're trying to get. You're trying to get your money to grow faster than a, a, a bank account savings rate or you know, a term deposit rate. So when you invest in things like the share market or property, what you're trying to do is have a higher rate of return over the long term compared to just it sitting in your bank. Um, and also it's important for you to know that you can also get income from shares as well, because a lot of companies, not all companies will provide what's called a dividend where you can actually have a dividend income coming from your share investing. As you know, I've got friends who literally have a part-time level income that comes from their dividends, right? So people have used the share market um, together with property or just the share market on its own to create cash flow for them to live a more flexible life, whether to focus more on community projects 
or to focus more on their families. So that's another way. So there's that capital growth over time and there's also the income poss possibility as well. And another important thing about the share market is when you're investing in, in, in shares, you're becoming part owner of a business. That's what a share means. It's like a share of the company. You're a part owner. Obviously, the more shares you have in a company, the bigger your, your chunk of the share of this company, but you're, you're an owner. And it's important to know that because you're an owner, you will enjoy the benefits of being an owner. So when things go well, but then on the flip side, you also deal with the risks. If something goes wrong or bad, then you as the owner also will be affected by that. So it's important for you to understand the risks of investing in anything, not just shares. Um, understand the risk, understand the benefits, um, and just understand the basics of how the share market works. And in terms of researching, you know, a company that you're potentially looking at investing in um, or buying shares in, what? How would you advise people to check that out? And on, on what kind of, you know, on what criteria would you? What are the main things that you're looking for when you're when you're deciding? Okay, so so one thing that I should have said before we even got into this conversation was major disclaimer, guys, what we are talking about is general information only. This is not personal advice. So what I'm telling you right now, I'm not telling you to run out there and do something. I'm just telling you on a general level uh, how it works. So if you need personal advice, you need to actually see a financial planner to give you that personal advice, which is relevant to your personal context. So on a general level, when it comes to uh, looking at companies, there's different ways of analyzing companies. So there's two major ways. I'm not going to get too technical about it because people might just glaze over. But, you know, some people use uh, what's called technical analysis, which is more about graphs and numbers and a, a lot of st stuff like that. And then there's also what's called fundamental analysis, where you'll be um, looking at the fundamentals of a business. So the story of the business. So things like who, who is the founder of this company? Who are the managers? Are they people of integrity? Like have they, how long have they been in this business? Do they know what they're doing? What's their, what's their experience in this industry? Um, you know, you'd be looking at the brand image or just the culture of the company. Do they have a, a well-regarded brand on the market? Do their employees like them? Do they like working for them? You know, um, you look at, you know, another story of, okay, what exactly are they offering? What is the service? What is the product? Um, how are they making money? Because it's funny how people actually invest in companies without ever looking at any of this stuff. They would just, you know, be like, oh, I'm just going to invest in this. But they don't actually know the, the behind the scenes of this company. What is, what is kind of the balance sheet look like? And balance sheet, I mean in terms of assets and liabilities on an on a overall uh, look of things. And things like that are important, especially when something like COVID happens, because a company which has a very bad balance sheet will struggle to survive when life happens, when unexpected things happen. So it's important for you to kind of understand that kind of background stuff, whether it's the balance sheet or it's what is the story of this company? Um, and is this a company that you'd be proud to own? You know what I mean? Um, you know, relevant to your own personal values. So a lot of people are into ethical investing. So their focus is they want to invest in companies that mean, you know, uh, something to them or that correlate with their values or their ethics. 
And that's good. Uh, but also make sure that if you're going to look into a company, even if it's ethical, look at the foundation. Is it actually a company that's going to survive? It's no use investing in an ethical investing company that's not well run, that doesn't have good management, that doesn't have a good balance sheet, that, you know, um, th that's got an industry that's going downhill. So another thing you're looking at is industry. The industry this company is in, it might be a great company, but if the industry is going down, well, where is that going for you in the long term? So those are a few of the things to think about. There's quite a lot of stuff. Like we, that's a topic that can take a while to get into, to explain um, how to uh, look at a company, because also there might be kind of personal context as to why you want to put money into a specific company versus another one, because you have to create your own investing philosophy. Everyone is different. Um, some people are focused on, I want to find the next Amazon. So what they're interested in is like the startups, you know, the ones that are going to do well. And other people, their focus is, I want a stable company that's established that will give me dividend income. And they'll, look, they'll be looking at the big, you know, big four banks, for instance. So it all depends as well on what your goals, your personal goals are and your, your personal uh, focuses are as well. Thanks. That's super helpful to, you know, initial. And I realised after I um, said that before that I haven't ever invested in shares that I actually did put money on shares ages ago. So I have to go and have a look at how they're going. <laughs> but, uh, you know, not with advice like you've just given, actually. It was more a friend said, oh, you know, get into this. And I was like, oh, oh yeah. my God, that is like the biggest, biggest thing when I do my course. So I've got a, the eight-week course that I do for Aussie ladies. Um, and it's like a basics course, right, about um, things that you need to know before you buy your first share. And one of my major talking points is exactly that, how, you, how people choose shares, how they just get told by a friend, you know, oh, you know, there's this company that's really hot or something else. And then they just buy it. They don't look into the company. They don't do any of their own due diligence. They just invest. Um, and, yeah, you did exactly what most people do. <laughs> And, and I suppose, I suppose maybe, um, you know, that can work. Um, oh, yeah, chance. of course. I mean, like, you literally can hit the jackpot. I'm sure there were people back in the day who were like, oh, I heard about this company called Amazon. I mean, and if you were one of those lucky people who had friends who were so forward thinking that they nailed it, you'd be rolling right now. But unfortunately, there's a lot of other, on the flip side, where a lot of those companies don't really go anywhere mm -hmm. <laughs> or they just bomb out. So, yeah, you have to be very careful. There's actually an incredible case study if you're ever interested to, you know, use an example that is what, what you're talking about, what not to do. But this actually worked. Um, it was it, it's actually episode two on this podcast. Um, Susan Morris, who discovered oil in Belize on oh, gut, wow. basically on her intuition and gut feeling. There'd been oil companies drilling for about 50 years in Belize, uh, all the big ones, and they you know, she put this expedition together and she was getting phone calls from, like, the head of Shell and stuff going, you're mad, like, <laughs> you're ruining your reputation. <laughs> she got um, kind of, um, I think it was um, around 50 Irish investors to put money in because it was it's obviously a lot of money to do the drills and they all went on gut feeling and just, yep, yeah, this feels good, let's go with it, and she hit oil. So, <laughs> like, so that I mean that's a that's a miraculous story. Um, yep. But hopefully, hopefully I'll have another miraculous story for you when I check 
that oh, share. Yeah. That miraculous <laughs> stories are fantastic. Uh, but yeah, you just have to be really careful uh, of, especially when it comes to investing and even um, opportunities out there, because there's a lot of scams as well. So this is something that I also like to talk about with people. Um, is there's a lot of people out there who come and tell you that they're going to offer you the world. The reality about investing, and this is what I actually really like, because I'm a very long-term focused, you know, uh, putting consistency over long-term um, style of person. The thing about investing is you need to actually just be consistent over the long-term. Most people like to cut corners. They don't want to hear that because they want to be rich right now. They want to hit the jackpot now. But unfortunately, a lot of people who come to you telling you, you know, invest in me and, you know, in six months, you'll be a millionaire or in six months, you know, I'd have made this amount of money from the share market or from something like cryptocurrency, which is so uncertain, especially in the short term. That's usually that's definitely a scam because short term. When it comes to the share market, it's very difficult for anybody. And when I say anybody, even Warren Buffett says, I have no idea what's going to happen in the share market in the short term. I have zero idea. I just know what it tends to do over the long term. Um, so if someone is telling you they're going to make you a million dollars, run away. If it's too good, to, it sounds too good to be true. It usually is. So be very careful about that. That's a good. That's a good warning. Um, being from Zimbabwe yourself and having the um, understanding of the financial systems, could you just share in very basic terms the what what happened with the inflation in Zimbabwe? Because I think that's actually a real um, threat to us at the moment, and the inflation that that may be coming um, with all this printing of money. Well, <laughs> listen, the Zimbabwe situation in Australia is very, very different. I mean, Zimbabwe... I mean, yeah, I mean, inflation in general, I think. You know, yeah, as yeah. A, I think yeah. a lot of people, listen, um, obviously at the moment what's happened with COVID, it's something that's once in a you know, lifetime situation. It's unprecedented. I think that's the word. That's like the word that's been used. It's a very different situation that none of us have ever experienced no economy in the world no one has experienced this for sure um and there's been a lot of obviously what they call fiscal policy with the government uh offering or you know money um to support businesses and individuals and so forth and this is something with you know stimulus packages that's happened whether it's here or overseas in the other western countries um with Zimbabwe, that was definitely not the uh, the situation. I mean, there it was more around just really horrible uh, government leadership, a whole lot of corruption, and what I would consider one of just the worst economic uh, decisions of any country I've ever heard of. I mean, you had people, you got to a point where the Zimbabwean dollar just became worthless because you had people having to, everyone became a trillionaire, you know, everyone was a, the money just became worthless. You had people with, you know, big bags to buy, you know, a loaf of bread. Um, and hey, anything is possible. You know, obviously we realized last year, anything is possible and COVID hit. Uh, life is unexpected. I highly doubt that's ever going to happen to Australia because uh, it's a very different kind of foundation in terms of our um the way the financial policies work here, the Reserve Bank, working with the government to kind of control. So there's a really good setup in a lot of Western countries, including Australia, regarding 
how the government works with fiscal policies in the government policies to manage the economy and how the reserve bank which is kind of the other arm which is about monetary policy they work well to to to, to keep things in check um yeah things might you know obviously blow up a little bit especially in a situation like now when things um we've they've used a lot more uh support and money like you're saying put a lot more money than they normally would and so forth um and that is something that is um affecting a lot of people i mean it's, it's helped it supported people but there's obviously that risk of uh inflation going up i mean in the in the us it's gone up more i guess than people expected and so people are a bit worried that that's going to just be uncontrollable i don't see that happening um especially here in Australia. Uh, I know that they'll put, they will definitely put all the stops to make sure that they maintain, because they like to maintain it in the two to 3% uh, area. And they'll put, they'll do different things whether with the interest rates to make sure that that inflation is kept in check. Um, I think also it's important for people when it comes to investing to think long-term there's always going to be changes to things like inflation, interest rates in the short term. But a lot of people, you have a lot of people uh, getting all worked up about, oh my God, what's going to happen to my super? What's going to happen to this? And you're talking to someone who's in their 30s and you're like, okay, but when are you actually accessing this money? <laughs> like, oh, when I'm in 30 years time. Yes. Short term, things can happen and things aren't clear, but you've got 30 years for whatever ups and downs, whether it's inflation, interest rates to play their game and impact that piece of money that you have in your super. So always don't, don't lose perspective. Don't be too pedantic about the little things. Oh my God, inflation might rise. What is that gonna mean? Oh my God, I should just jump out now or whatever. Um, think of what is your goal? Um, are you trying to get the money out soon or do you have a long-term view? of your investments. And that's what matters the most, that long-term view. Awesome. Well, I hope you're right about the inflation. Um, <laughs> but I love uh, hey, I don't know. Like, I have no idea what's going to happen. Um, this is just me uh, looking at this, the, the way the, the um, Australian system works and just looking at how they've dealt with similar situations. I mean, the pandemic might be a once-in-a-lifetime event, but... Australia and the Western world and all these other countries have dealt with situations where, whether it's world wars or great depressions and all that stuff, they've dealt with horrific situations and know how to, you know, manage that type of situation. Doesn't mean that things won't spiral out of control um, for a while. It's quite possible. It could blow up, but they've got situations in place or systems in place to, to find a way back generally you know, from that type of situation. So, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen. It could blow up. It might not, but we just have to watch this space and see what that looks like. Mm -hmm. I find the whole global financial um, climate and environment fascinating and, and, you know, the global financial crisis that happened. I mean, I, when I found out what actually happened and understood the bigger picture of that, it, it was just like, oh, my God, basically so many people were out of integrity and knew that it would bust at some point yeah. and kept passing the buck, passing the buck, passing the buck. And yeah. it, it made me very curious um, 
I love it how you said you're you know, a very curious person before. I'm super curious. And it made me ask a lot of questions and, and kind of um, want to understand the international system a little bit more and the central bank and the and um, and just the whole, I mean, it's, to me personally, it seems mad to for a system to put humans in, you know, constant debt and a lot of people, you know, most of their lives trying to um, run the rat race to just get ahead and, and live comfortable lives. So I just find that, I just find that fascinating and I'm, I'm keen to hear your thoughts on it. Well, I mean, this is interesting because... I think with the with the system and how it's set up, it's one of those things where they, it's always hard to get that balance, right? You want that balance of people not having all of the possibility to just go greedy and do what they did in the GFC, like just run rampant and be out of integrity. But at the same time, you want to balance it out with not being autocratic and pretty much ruling people and, you know, managing what individuals do so there's that kind of that balance balancing act which as individuals and as human beings we've been constantly push and pull i mean when you think about all the different you know the socialism you know capitalism whether it's communism it's always been that pull of trying to find a really a, a, a comfortable balance right of you know allowing people to have a level of freedom but also having enough uh, balances in checks to, you know, to regulate so that people's base natures <laughs> don't overtake and affect the system the way that the, um, the subprime mortgage crisis did in the uh, GFC. I mean, I'll look, I'll give an example of Australia. I mean, there's been a lot, Australia has got a lot of regulations. It's probably one of the most highly regulated systems. If you're looking at um, Western countries, when it comes to the Australian financial services uh, world or even financial planners and so forth, especially in the past five years, there have been a lot of um, compliance requirements, legislation to try and kind of limit as much as possible the potential of people going, specific people going haywire. So when I look at the industry, because I've been in this industry for a while, a lot of people are genuinely good people, as in a lot of the financial planners and the stockbrokers, they're just doing their job. They're not out there to rip anyone off. They're actually, a lot of them are actually quite passionate about wanting to help people with their finances and so forth. But just like anything else in there, because there's so much potential for money to be made, you'll find some random fraudsters who are in there trying to make as much money as possible. So there have been some really good um, legislation that's come into place, especially in the last few years, to really make it hard for those few bad apples to truly run rampant and go crazy. And I think like with any human system, it's full of um, issues and it's full of imperfection. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll give an example. This same system that you're talking about, you know, is the same system that has people being out of integrity causing that GFC crash, but it's the same system that have, you know, people making a certain level of money, average Joes and Janes, being able to take care of their families. Some of these average Joes and Janes are living, you know, like I always share the story of uh, Sylvia Bloom. This is my favorite story. And New York secretary back in the day 
who started putting money on the Wall Street um, according to what her uh, bosses were doing. So she was a secretary in the 60s, 70s, and she started just following what the whenever she was uh, told by her lawyer bosses to go and buy shares for, for them, she would also buy a certain amount for herself. And she did that over decades. And she didn't do it for herself. She wanted to leave a legacy and leave money for a not-for-profit um, organization that she really valued and where she saw a lot of impact. And by the time she died, she was able to leave $9 million to, well, about $7 million to this organization, and then $2 million to, uh, to sponsor, you know, poor students at a college. So this is the same system, right? The same system which has people running around rampant also is able to do amazing things as well. So there is uh, negative and positive in the system. There is the potential for a lot of greed because there's the potential for a lot of money to be made, but there's also a lot of potential for people being empowered and people being able to live more value-based lives where they are not constantly just trying to survive, but they can actually thrive and make this, you know, this world a better place. So it's a, it's a very interesting kind of balance there. And I suppose that's what you're doing through your work with the, um, you know, women who are not yet there financially free and, and to be able to educate them about the system to make it work for them so they yeah. can, you know, achieve that freedom. And um, Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's that's just awesome. And I'd love to I'd love to um, hear a few stories that y where you've seen women who think it's not possible then you know thrive through your mentoring. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, I one of my um, favorite stories is this lady, and I've known her for a while. Um, she, it's funny. A lot of women really underestimate themselves. So I remember her. I think having a chat with me after I did a workshop. I think it was actually funny what a money and mindset workshop. We're just talking about mindset and what's possible. And then she came afterwards saying, hey, what's it? Um, I am not really good with money. I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, oh, you know, I don't think I am. I've got some money, which is just sitting in there. And I said to her, do you mind telling me how much money you have sitting in the in your know, bank account? And she's got, I've got 50,000. This was a 20 something year old lady. Like she was really young. And I'm like, did you save this yourself? Yes, she did. I'm like, what do you mean you're bad with money? Do you know most people don't have $50,000 saved uh, in their bank account? Very few people have that much money. And I said, I don't have that much money saved sitting in my bank account, just waiting for something to happen. You know, and this was like uh, years ago. And... <laughs> And I was like, first of all, you underestimate your how amazing you are. The fact that you're a 20, young 20-year-old 20 woman, early 20s, and you've already saved $50,000. That is a basic foundational skill a lot of people don't have, first of all. So tick for you. You should be very proud of yourself. Um, and then, of course, she was like, oh, I don't know what I should do. And, and then we, I remember talking to her about, you know, things to think about. I'm like, I can't tell you what to do because I will be giving you personal advice. But you should, I gave her, um, there's a, a website that I really like called moneysmart.gov.au. It's a government website and it's purely educational. No one is flogging a product and service. They're just trying to teach you about finances. Um, and I said, I, you know, you should probably look at the investing uh, page because it talks about different investment options. But also, if you want more personalized, you, you know, kind of uh, information, you can actually see a financial planner, right? 
and gave that advice. And I remember her then coming back to me and she wrote this amazing testimonial saying, I have actually um, come, I'm now with a financial planner and I've actually started investing my money. And this is thanks to Wadzi changing my mindset about what was possible. The fact that financial planning was actually, could be for me because she didn't think it was for her and that investing could be for me. And because of that, she was able to start actually investing. And she's a young lady, so she's got that timeline to really you know, take advantage of long-term investing. Um, so I was really proud of that because I remember when she first started talking to me, she was like, I'm not, she was just not comfortable with the thought of investing her money or even seeing a financial planner. And she did it and she actually started building her investment portfolio. Um, another really good one, this is um, to do with uh, salary sacrificing. So I remember I did a workshop years ago around, you know, putting extra money into your super fund. Because I think a lot of women would know there's a big gap between the super amounts for women, a lot of women compared to men by the time they retire, especially. So we're just talking about things that people could do to uh, add more into their superannuation as they work. And we talked about salary sacrifice, didn't really think much about it. And then a few months later, she uh, this lady wrote a testimonial saying, oh my God, I've been, it's been nearly a year now. And because of Wadzi, I have been salary sacrificing into my super and I've made projections. And because you can use calculators to see how that would impact your retirement money. Uh, and I've made projections and I'm going to be, you know, $200,000 more or whatever by the time I retire, which is a big, big deal. So those type of things have happened. Um, I know there's a number of other, other stories out there, but uh, people don't necessarily always tell you what they've done because of what you've, um, you've done out there. So yeah, it's been amazing just hearing those stories of people shifting their mindset of what's possible and taking action. Yeah, and, and that's amazing to hear you share those stories because it's through taking action that then they kind of trust in their own abilities a bit more, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. They've done it. They kind of, that gives them a confidence yeah. boost. I mean, anyone. Anyone about can do it. Take yeah. action, you know. Yeah. Um, and so that's amazing. And I loved, I loved before when you said that when you came up with the name for your organization or, or your initiative, that you felt it in your body. It gave. I you did. I did. Body. I was literally just trying out different names and saying them out loud, and you know, I was like, eh, this, this, and I was like, no, no. And the minute I said her economics, I was just like. Oh, yes, that is it. I just felt this tingling in my body. I'm like, yep, it felt right. It was just perfect. That, that's so good to hear. And I think, like, I think as humans, we kind of, we all have that. We all have that inner guidance as well and that inner knowing. And the more we kind of trust that and take action, depending on that, the stronger it gets. That's been my experience anyway. And yes. it, it guides us and it's incredible, but it's not really talked about much or people don't share that but when when you do hear it you kind of resonate with it because like oh yeah you know we've all had times in our lives where we've had a hunch about something yeah. or you know intuition yeah. tells us do that it's a good idea yeah. uh, and I'm wondering whether you know obviously informed I, I get the sense that you're very informed in your actions but have you do you ever use that amazing feeling that you got when you got the name you obviously use that sometimes in your choices yeah of course I mean I yes you're very right I'm very informed I'm a very uh 
logical type of person, you know, I'm like, I, this is the information, you know. Um, but at the same time, I'm also somebody who, and it's not something that I, I always do well, just like what you're saying. It's not something that I'm always fixed on, like, oh, what's my intuition telling me? <laughs> you know, how am I feeling? But I'm also somebody who, like you, like I was saying before, I'm a curious person. I'm curious about my own reactions to things. So when I come up with this, when I think of different things and I feel a certain thing in my body or I feel something, I take notice of that, those type of things, um, especially, you know, if it's something that's really important to me. Um, and it's something that, funny enough, I, I would like to develop more in, within myself and also um, within how I make decisions and how I live my life in general, just trusting myself more. It's been a journey because I think that takes, you know, kind of listening to that takes a lot of trust in yourself um, and, and your own sense of um, figuring out, you know, what's truly important to you. And I, oh, I wasn't always like that and I'm not perfect at it. But I definitely do take that into consideration, not all the time, but in, in when it comes to certain choices, yes. Amazing. And what so what brings you the most joy out of what you do, out of all, all the things that you're involved with? Oh my God, joy, joy. Okay, so I find my God, like I can't tell you how proud I do. I feel so much happiness for me. What gives me a lot of happiness is just this, the joy and the happiness I see in ladies after, let's say, the course I do or like after whether it's a workshop back in the day or whatever, just the change in them from when I, I first started talking to them or when, I, when the course started or whatever else I'm doing to kind of um, help them empower themselves to see that shift and the like, well, it's funny what you're saying that just that belief in themselves. So what I get a lot of from, because what I'm actually trying to do with her economics is to get women to actually believe in themselves because a lot of them, the reason why they don't take action is they just don't have confidence within themselves that they can do it. So the joy I feel is when in the end they're like, oh my God, I, I, I'm, I did it. Like I, I actually did this. And you can tell that they actually have uh, confidence in themselves and belief in themselves. And that just is, it gives me the greatest amount of joy. Just seeing that transformation from, ah, oh, this is too overwhelming. I'm too intimidated to, oh my God, what's it? I bought my first share. I can't believe I did that. I'm so proud of myself. That feeling of, that empowerment feeling when they sh you can see that they have confidence in themselves uh, and they've actually taken this step that was really scary for them. And they, they invested in themselves and they've done that. Amazing. It's almost as if you ignite that flame you know just them taking that first step will lead yes. to so many more but it's just the sometimes the first step can be the hardest and, oh, and if it is that, it is and that's why I'm so passionate about that's why her economics focuses on the first step that's pretty much my thing I mean there's a lot of other amazing platforms out there and you know uh, courses and other things which are more for advanced people or people who've already taken steps I love to focus on the first step that ignition of that uh, initial, oh my God, I did it. I can do this and I can continue doing it. 
I just love how that feels. So good, so good. Yeah. So what's the what's the legacy that you'd love to leave? Oh, wow, legacy, legacy. Um, yeah, that is big. I do think about legacy a lot. I think a lot of people do, um, if they're honest with themselves. But I would love to leave a legacy of, first of all, of just... So there's a number of things that are really important to me. I mean, I've got a lot of values that are top up there and they're important, whatever. But, you know, I think for me, it's a legacy of people being the best version of themselves, of, of me being the conduit of more women living their best lives. Because for me, when it comes to um, what I do with her economics, it's about a part of people fully showing up in their lives. Financial empowerment is one element of that. There's a lot of other elements. So my part is playing a part in helping people or women specifically live their best life, you know, fully show up in this life as much as possible. But also I'm someone who's very passionate about human connection in general. So I love connecting with people I love connecting people with each other. I love bringing people together. Uh, women's, you know, whenever I have this training and everything, it feels like a circle of women. Just you know, we're talking about of our stock market, but it's like a women's circle talking about share market. You know, I love human connection. So just that true human connection is a legacy I want to live. Um, you know, empowerment and autonomy for women. Um, yeah, and just just being the best version of yourself that you can be in this world. That's incredible, and I love I love everything you do, and you know your whole intention behind it because it's it shows that um, you know we can everybody can do this more, draw out the potential in others, you know, on a daily basis, and yeah. be that person who goes you can do that and identify it in, you know, in someone else because sometimes that's what it takes to actually yeah. bring them out of themselves and, and to take that first step. So um, yeah. amazing, amazing. Thanks so much for sharing, you know, all of your wisdom and knowledge or some of it. You probably so much more. <laughs> um, and, and, yeah, and giving us your time today to, you know, share us a bit about your life. And um, before, before we kind of end, is there anything else that you wanted to share that we haven't covered um, all right. So I would just love, cause a lot of people always say, oh my God, what should, uh, what should I do? You know, what, what should be the first step in actually getting into share investing? Right. So I always say yeah, a number of things. First of all, just do some sort of basic course, right? So whether it's um, the course I do, or if it's uh, the ASX, I've got a share course for beginners that you can do self-paced by yourself. So learn like the basics of share investing. It doesn't mean you need to learn everything, just the basics. Then just register for a trading platform and just choose a company and buy it. Don't overthink things. Those are the steps, you know, Learn the basics, understand a little bit about how it works, register for a trading platform and buy your first share. So that's just, just take. So for me, it's people saying, what should I do? Just do something, just take a step. It doesn't have to be perfect. Like I said, when I started economics, it was vague and all, and, and all, all that. 
you will learn with time you will learn more as you progress just take a step whether it's just doing a course or you know um, listening to some podcast take one step today and then take another tomorrow that's all you need to do you don't have to be einstein you don't have to be a math whiz you can do it just the person you are right now you're enough to do well on the share market awesome thanks a million what a, what a great conversation it's been wonderful i loved it i knew it was gonna be awesome <laughs> Thanks for listening to our Inspiring Humans podcast and I hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any inspiring human in mind that you would like to nominate, please reach out and let us know. Also, you're very welcome to become part of our Facebook group called Inspiring Humans where you can connect with incredible people from around the globe. Uh, Thirdly, if you are interested in being part of a global network, we have an incredible community at sevencontinentscouncil.com where we hold events, programs and many different initiatives that you can be involved in. Thank you and see you again soon.